Can high taxes make you happy? That seems to be the case in Denmark, the country with the highest taxes in the world. It can amount to half your income plus a 25% VAT on purchases and a 150% tax on cars. Hey, we said they were high. Yet, according to the 2016 World Happiness Report, a publication of the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network, Denmark is the happiest country on earth. For Danish private citizens, high taxes give back and then some. No tuition for education, no fees for health care, minimal crime and corruption. Given all that, there's not a whole lot to worry about. Now, is there? Okay, technically in 2019, Denmark came in second, a runner up to Finland, another high tax country. Still, you have to hand it to the Danes. For years, Denmark has remained in the top three. But how happy <laughs> are transfer pricing executives in Denmark? Well, that's a whole other story. Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of the Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And today, we're talking about, you guessed it, transfer pricing in Denmark. And it's safe to say, an aggressive tax authority, a very likely chance of audit, and a 22% corporate tax rate probably isn't adding any warm and fuzzy feelings to multinational companies with operations in this part of the world. How difficult is transfer pricing compliance in Denmark? Cross-border solutions transfer pricing expert Hosker Hugenberg is joining us from the Netherlands, incidentally the sixth happiest country to set the record straight. Thanks for being with us today, Hosker. One quick note, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three code words in this episode. Send all three to all one word, The Fiona Show at xps.ai. Again, The Fiona Show at xps.ai and we'll reply with your certificate. Now let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Is it just us or is everyone having a hard time keeping up with changing regulations surrounding country by country reporting? Who has to submit here? Who needs a notification there? The regs alone are overwhelming, and that's before you've even touched a single report. But in the United Arab Emirates, things are pretty straightforward, thanks to a new decision on country-by-country country reporting from the Council of Ministers. Now, only the UAE-based ultimate parent company must submit the country-by-country country report. Before this decision, the surrogate parent could submit if the ultimate parent was located elsewhere. By the end of the reporting period, the ultimate parent also has to notify the Ministry of Finance that it is, in fact, the ultimate parent. I guess even in the corporate world, parenting is never easy. Belgium, Ireland, and Luxembourg, in fact, most member states, may have taken the EU Council up on the option to delay Doc 6 reporting deadlines by six months, but Germany is holding its ground. On July 8th, a spokesperson from the Ministry of Finance confirmed that Finance Minister Olaf Scholz has no intention of delaying DOCSIC's reporting requirements, global pandemic or not. Past cross-border transactions from June 26th, 2018 through June 30th, 2020 must be disclosed by September 20th, 2020. And don't forget, we're already well into July's reportable transactions. Since most groups have at least one entity in Germany, multinationals and intermediaries throughout the EU will now be under pressure to meet a rapidly approaching reporting deadline, a tension other member states were trying to help them avoid. But now, thanks to Germany, all those delay efforts kind of defeat the purpose. 
For more than a year now, the U.S. has been threatening retaliatory measures against France if the country launched its 3% digital tax. Well, it looks like it's game on between the two countries. France has launched its digital services tax, deferring payments until 2021. And in early July, the U.S. Trade Representative's office said it was moving ahead with tariffs as high as 25% against $1.3 billion of French products. Incidentally, now might be a good time to stock up on French handbags, soap, lipstick, and other beauty products because those pricey tariffs are delayed until January 6th, 2021 in hopes of a multilateral agreement on taxation in the digital world. The U.S. had originally planned to launch 100% tariffs on French wines, but at the announcement in early July, there was no mention of that. Not that we're relieved or anything. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp uh hosker you're based in the netherlands can you tell us about what's happening in terms of the covid19 pandemic there well you know i mean in general in at least on the continent a lot of the measures are being uh, relaxed uh, right now so allowed to travel within most of the european countries uh which is a great thing with the holidays, uh, you know, just in front of us. You know, there are certainly still restrictions, mainly, you know, to keep distance. That's the the main one that's still imposed. So that means that, you know, when you go into a restaurant or you go somewhere inside, you always keep to have to keep your your distance. But that's the main restriction right now. A lot of the shops are open, restaurants are open, you're allowed to go to go places um, so yeah it's it's i mean so far so good i mean it seems to be under control over here although we have seen certain very local outbreaks uh, every day you know in germany we had a couple i think in in spain there are one or two places that they have been put back on uh, lockdown but it's very regional for where you are specifically, is there still a mask's order in place? Well, for the Netherlands, you need to wear a mask when you're in public transport. So trains, buses, whatever you have, 
there it's you are required to wear a mask if you go to hospitals you need to wear a mask so these type of places but when you go to shops etc that's it's not required you need to keep your distance you need to you know make sure you you know clean your hands and you know most of the shops all facilitate that but there is no requirement other than what i just mentioned to uh, to wear a mask yeah as I was mentioning before, this isn't your first rodeo, rodeo or podcast. I say rodeo, but I mean podcast. Uh, you know, this isn't even your first podcast during quarantine. You were under uh, stay-at-home orders, correct? I think last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, in the Netherlands. They they called it clever shutdown, or you know, we. So there was an order to stay home, but you know, we were always allowed to go out. You know, you, you could go out, you know, to go for a walk or for a run i mean the thing that i did well they call it intellectual lockdown so you know use your common sense and but it's yeah so it's it's there were obviously schools were closed uh, people were asked to work from home almost for 100 percent, except obviously uh, you know the, the the jobs that uh, well you can't do from home but that was the end of march obviously and as of june the first they've gradually starting to relax the uh, restrictions. And I know last time that, uh, or at least through these quarantine interviews, we've been asking a lot of people what has been one upside, but it sounds like, and from everything I know about Europe, they're kind of coming to the end of this. Do you have a new take on an upside or have you discovered something maybe between the last time you talked between, you know, uh, all this work from home that has been an upside for you? Well, you know, I, I think in, in general, the upside is is that, you know, I mean, here in the Netherlands, the Netherlands is a small country with a lot of people. So, you know, typically there was always a lot of pressure on the roads. You know, there were traffic jams. There was a commute, especially going into places like Amsterdam, Rotterdam, uh, you know, all the big cities. And, and that, you know, right now is not the case anymore. So I think that's I think a major upside to me is that, you know, people have started to realize that it's not strictly necessary to always go to the office to do work. Uh, and that has a, certainly had a very positive impact on, you know, the traffic situation. And um, so that's, that's a good thing. So I hope that going forward, uh, you know, surely people will go back into office situations again, but maybe not five days a week. You know, maybe a couple of days a week, and uh, you know, and maybe people are going to see. You know, for the, the you know the company I used to work for before uh, um, Cross Border Solutions already had this policy where the office was not a a workplace, but it was a meeting place. So there was a different philosophy. So you didn't come to to the office just to sit there nine to five and work. No, you would have to to meet your colleagues, meet your clients, etc. And obviously around that you could do also work, but it was never intended to facilitate for 100% of the people to always be in the office. So maybe that's a good way of thinking about that to uh, you know see office space more as a meeting place. Meeting your colleagues is of course very important, you know, meet with clients, but not necessarily just to sit there nine to five or whatever your working hours are uh, and uh, do your work. It's, uh, so maybe that's an interesting new view on things. 
Right. And we ask this all the time, but we're going to ask again, what mistakes do you see multinational companies making again and again in terms of transfer pricing? Um, you know, I think that the, the main mistake or, you know, omission, whatever you want to call it, is that that's still a lot of companies, you know, use generic transfer pricing reports, whether that is, you know, generic in the reports themselves or generic in doing the benchmarking or generic in applying economic analysis. And that, you know, right now in this day and age is no longer, you know, the way to do it with, you know, a lot of countries right now introducing or have introduced specific local rules around uh, transfer pricing documentation. And, you know, there is only one way to be compliant with the local rules uh, and, and regulations, and that's to prepare your documentation on that basis and not on the basis of generic or regional information. Indeed. And Denmark is a member of the OECD. Does it follow OECD guidelines? Yeah, I mean, in generally it does. You know, the you know, as with many countries, the OECD guidelines are you know, typically applied, you know, for the interpretation of Danish tax law. The OECD guidelines themselves are not part of the rules and regulations, so you can't rely on them from a legal perspective. And, and you know, a, a Danish taxpayer needs to be compliant with the local Danish transfer pricing rules. Indeed. And we're just going to take a quick moment to ask Fiona. Fiona, which languages are acceptable for documentation in Denmark? The Danish Customs and Tax Administration accepts documentation in English, Swedish, Norwegian, and of course, Danish. Has Denmark adopted BEPS Action 13? Yeah, they have. So, you know, there is the requirement for a local file, master file, and on the basis of Action Plan 13, also country-by-country country reporting. Uh, they do apply a threshold, which is for... Uh, the master file, local file, either for companies that have less than 250 employees or they either have less than 250 million Danish kroner in revenue or less than 125 million Danish kroner in assets. So that applies to both local file and master file. And for the country-by-country country reporting, uh, the threshold is, like for many countries, it's the uh, 750 million euro revenue of the whole group to which the Danish entity belongs. And are there material differences between the OECD template and the Danish transfer pricing regulations? No, no. And basically, uh, they follow the same format, um, you know, the same type of information that uh, needs to be in there. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to interrupt with our first CPE code word. That code word is contentment, as in it has been hard to find contentment during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, is there additional documentation beyond the uh, OECD guidelines? Yeah, I mean, there are there are a couple of, of forms that you uh, or a form that you need to provide uh, together as an annex to your income tax return, which you need to disclose information on your intercompany transactions and some key data surrounding that. And that's that goes as an annex to the form. There is not a a, a separate transfer pricing return, if you want to call it like that. So, But there is this one form that you uh, need to uh, submit as well. Right. And that's the 
zero twelve in the, the yeah. five point zero twenty two is the English version. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you are allowed to do it in English, and you know, as you know, Fiona just mentioned as well. You know, you're also when it comes to your documentation, not so much this form, but in the form of a documentation, you're also allowed to maintain that in uh, Norwegian or in Swedish, which I think is quite unique. I actually, except for the Scandinavian countries, I actually don't know about any um, country that besides the their own language and English allows transcripts and documentation to be maintained in a in a different language but uh, you know uh, so that's quite unique for the uh, Scandinavian um, countries right that but that form that 5012 um, is there a big difference between those and in, in the local file well yes I mean the um, the form of 5012 is, you know, basically only provide uh, asking to provide information on, you know, all the company transactions, list them, and uh, you know who the counterparties are, etc. And so, but it's really by no means it is a a transfer pricing local file in the meaning of let's say action plan 13 format. So that that is a a much more extensive document where you have to put a lot more information in there. This is really basically one form, the 5012 is one form with some very high level key data. Right. And all documentation should be prepared contemporaneously? Yes. So, um, you know, companies are required to, let's say just for, for the you know, ease of reference for companies that fall under the obligation to uh, keep, uh, well, to prepare and maintain a, a local file that needs to be uh, prepared annually. It needs to be uh, made available, or it should be available um, as of the moment that the company files the tax return. So currently, there is no obligation to physically file the local file and or master file. And only, you know, when requested, you need to, uh, to provide it. You know, an important point um, is also that the documentation should only include uh, in you know, should be based on information that is available at the time of you know filing the tax return. So you know it can't be based on information that is only coming available after that deadline. Right, right. And there was a proposed law that was recently published for fiscal year 2020, uh, which would require taxpayers to submit transfer pricing documentation with tax returns. Can you tell us about that? By, um, I think it was September last year, the uh, Danish Ministry of Finance issued that bill, draft bill, the basis of which actually, you know, at the time of filing tax return, you would then also need to physically submit the local file and or master file. So there would then you know, be a shift from having the documentation available to actually file it. That is, uh, at least as far as I'm uh, aware, it has not yet been approved. Uh, and 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 implemented, but assuming it will be implemented, you know, it will be effective for on the basis of the current wording of the of the bill for all fiscal years starting January one, twenty twenty. So you know, the first filing uh, obligations would then be uh, during the calendar year twenty twenty one, when you need to file your twenty twenty tax return, then together with the twenty uh, transfer pricing file. And it's maybe also good to just note that when it comes to filing is that like in many countries, 
Danish authorities have granted now uh, companies uh, an extension for filing their annual tax return, the 2019 tax return, you know, as part of the measures uh, uh, concerning uh, COVID-19. Right. And to interrupt one more time to just ask Fiona, Fiona, does the Danish Customs and Tax Administration have a preference in terms of transfer pricing methods? No, Matt. The Danish Customs and Tax Administration adheres to the most appropriate method, as recommended by the OECD. It accepts analyses that employ the CUP, resale price, cost plus, profit split, and TNMM, in no particular order. So, Hosker, that list, yeah, even when countries adopt the most appropriate method, sometimes there is still an unofficial presence in terms of methodology. Is that the case in Denmark? Well, you know, not that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of, you know, but there is obviously an obligation which, you know, follows from the OECD guidelines for every taxpayer to, to document the selection of the transfer pricing method in their TP documentations or in their local file. And they need to explain, you know, why they have adopted a certain method for a certain transaction. So there is that obligation, but that's an obligation that uh, follows um, from the OECD guidelines also themselves. Hosker, even when countries adopt the most appropriate method, sometimes there is still an unofficial preference in terms of methodology. Is that the case in Denmark? So what about benchmarking? Does the Danish tax administration require local benchmarks? You know, not really. You know, they, they do accept pan-European comparables, just like numerous others, other countries. In particular, you know, the more smaller countries, I think they are realistic enough to, to actually see that uh, it might not always be possible to find local comparables. So, uh, you know, pan-European Comparables are accepted. I would personally say, you know, I would always try and find, let's say, sub-regional comparables like, you know, Scandinavian or Northwestern Europe comparables rather than doing a full pan-European search. But the tax authorities in Denmark do accept uh, pan-European benchmarks. And do you have to prepare a single or multi-year analysis? I mean, in, in principle, multi-year analysis is uh, accepted. And so, but they do require you to do a fresh benchmarking uh, every year. And it's time for our second CPE code word. That word is refund, as in a huge tax refund every year or even once in a while would make me very happy. So, what is the likelihood of a transfer pricing audit in Denmark? Pretty high. SCAT, which is the, the name of the Danish tax authority, you know, have a uh, a reputation already for quite a long time of pretty aggressive when it comes to transfer pricing, you know, challenging um, positions taken by multinationals in their tax returns. So I would certainly rate Denmark in the list of uh, of high-risk countries when it comes to uh, transfer pricing audits. And if you're audited, how likely is it that your transfer pricing methodology will be challenged? I mean, first of all, I think, you know, what they tend to do is to, for, you know, like services transactions is to already before they even get to the question on, you know, the method you applied and what the actual margin is that you have reported uh, is to actually look at the cost itself and try and see whether they can argue to uh, treat the cost itself as non-deductible by challenging the benefit test, so to say that, you know, the specific nature of the service did not benefit the local business. Um, or that the allocation tool was incorrect, or that the um, 
there was a duplication so that they they then challenge you know the business expense of or the business nature of the expense and to treat it as non-deductible you know that's that's what like many authorities by the way is quite common they do argue uh, quite a bit on that you know the actual margin or you know profit that you apply on your transfer pricing is not at arm's length SCAT has over the last decade uh, tried to attack especially uh, royalty type of structures and over the last 10 years there have been numerous court cases on that we're arguing that the uh, the royalty were not deductible but other than that you know yeah things that they do focus on valuation of IP, you know, things on group financing, interest, interest rates, but also on loss-making entities, trying to argue that the losses are actually incurred or triggered by intercompany charges or, you know, are mainly triggered by intercompany charges and therefore trying to deny deductibility of these intercompany charges. Well, we just talked about management services. That's Certainly, like in many countries, they try and uh, challenge that. And the same goes with licensing, you know, IP charges, uh, etc. And what is the statute of limitations on transfer pricing returns? Well, I mean, as I said, it's, it's currently you need to confirm that uh, by the time you uh, file your tax return, that uh, you have your uh, transfer pricing uh, documentation ready and available. And you need to attach to your tax return that specific form we talked about with this uh, very high-level overview of the volume and the number of intercompany transactions. And, you know, potentially, as of next year, there's an obligation to physically file as well your local file. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And what kinds of things are tax authorities focused on? Well, I mean. As just mentioned, you know, uh, typically IP intangibles, valuation thereof, license rates that are being charged to uh, Danish companies, uh, but also management services. And uh, we talked about that. Um, and then they, um, not so much on the transfer pricing itself or on the benchmarking, but more on the deductibility of the cost trying to argue it it has not benefited the local business or there are duplications, interest rates on uh, intergroup financing. So they, these are the typical costs that they challenge. And since 2010, Denmark's tax authorities have made considerable efforts to step up its transfer pricing scrutiny. Can you tell us a little bit about what they've done and what they have planned for the future? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, SCAT, the, the Danish tax authority already for quite a long time, have built a reputation of being pretty aggressive when it comes to transfer pricing and challenging multinationals on their transfer pricing. So they've put a lot of time and effort in transfer pricing audits. You know, over the years, they, they have hired, I think, more than 100 tax professionals specifically to uh, focus on, on transfer pricing audits. And, um, and actually, about a month ago, early June, the Danish tax office announced that you know, it will increase the level of scrutiny even further on taxation of multinationals. And you know, that will most certainly mean a you know, further focus on uh, we will see more controversy uh, around transfer pricing in Denmark. They are creating a new tax audit center. I think we can just assume that that will have a, a strong focus on transfer pricing as well. And also, a, as part of that, a, a tax evasion alarm center allow people or other companies to report suspicious tax behavior. And, and obviously, like many authorities, they are stepping up in the use of technology, the use of data, having all sorts of uh, tools, analytical tools that help them in trying to find inconsistencies in tax filings of companies and trying to also try and find transfer pricing methods that they consider to be you know, either aggressive or at least not providing an arm's length outcome. They are also not only that they already hired a lot of new folks, but uh, you know, also for the years to come, they have a very ambitious plan to hire a lot of additional employees to support that, that new tax audit center and really focus on that as well. If they're building a police station, you might want to move the craps game down the street. Yeah, but it's you know, it's it's <laughs> it's very interesting because uh, on the one hand, they have a, a very strong focus on this and have a reputation on you know, aggressive and in, in challenging. Um, multinationals. But on the other hand, they have a very poor track record in actually winning transfer pricing cases uh, in court. I think you know, the most recent cases, especially when it came to, to you know, deductibility of license fees, uh, the, um, the score for the uh, SCAT, so the tax authority in Denmark, is uh, pretty poor. Lost pretty much uh, all cases. And uh, most recently, a couple of weeks ago, you know, they lost another case before the Supreme Court for a Swiss company that charged a, uh, what I would think, a rather modest 2% license for uh, you know, the use of the brand name and use of technology to their subsidiary in Denmark. And that was challenged by the tax authorities. First of all, they argued that it, it wasn't actually a business expense. So, you know, this is coming back to that theme of, you know, the benefit test. So, you know, it did not benefit the, uh, the Danish company. So it was not a business expense, but even if it was considered a business expense, the Danish authorities argued that it still should not be deductible because the actual rate was not at arm's length. Uh, and then they even had another argument uh, that it should be offset against you know, a deemed compensation from the Swiss parent company, so effectively setting off the charge. And although tax authorities won that case before the High Court, when it was dealt with by the Supreme Court, the royalty payments actually were you know, genuine business expenses and that the company did provide sufficient documentation in support of that and that the authorities were not able to come up with any evidence that the documentation prepared and maintained by that company was insufficient. So they, they lost that case, just like they've lost other cases as well. 
You know, they've lost, you know, quite a big case with, I believe, was Microsoft in 2019. And there was this Denver case earlier in 2018, I believe. And I think the score is now seven against zero. Oof. Uh, <laughs> Another CPE code word, and that word is sorry, as in sorry, I have to keep interrupting this discussion with these code words. Um, but let's let's dive into that uh, ADECO case on June 25th for the background of our listeners. The Denmark Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Danish company ADECO, uh, delivering what M&E tax calls a swift blow to the Danish revenue agency and what is the significance of this case for transfer pricing in Denmark which which we'll dive into but you were uh, I know you were you were pulling it apart a bit in the last answer yeah you know I mean I, I think the main takeaway on that one is that it does press the importance of having proper documentation that is you know compliance with local rules and regulations because Again, also this in this case, the Supreme Court put a lot of value on on the documentation prepared by the taxpayer. You know, as long as uh, you, as a taxpayer, prepare uh, you know very you know detailed local transfer price documentation, that it is not that easy for a tax authority to just set that aside and say, well, you know, it's we consider it non-deductible. They need to come up with you know, very, very good arguments, which they haven't in this case and also not in the cases before, to convince the Supreme Court of their case and to deny deductibility. So I think that's the main point here is that it's the importance of having proper documentation in place. It's very essential um, when defending your positions, your tax positions uh, upon tax audit. Right, right, right. The documentation in this specific case was was the element that saved the taxpayer. Uh, there's also the issue of burden of proof because the documentation was adequate. The burden of proof was on the tax authority, therefore. It goes back to one of my earlier comments about that, you know, you can't rely on OSD guidelines. You need to be specific on the Danish tax rules. And you know, one of the Danish uh, regulations, you know, I mean, there, are, there is a tax assessment act section that stipulates that the transaction needs to be at arm's length. And uh, there is a further regulation in what's called the tax control act sections, I think 37 to 42, that actually set the transfer price documentation requirements. But, you know, the rules also very clear on that if you don't comply with the documentation requirements, indeed, it may trigger that there is a shift in the burden of proof. And that is a, a very important point because in, so if you do comply with the regulations, and that actually goes back to this court case as well, because if you meet the require the actual requirements for transfer documentation, that means it is up to the tax authorities to evidence that you know what you have documented did not result in an arm's length outcome, and that is a quite a burden on the tax authorities. Showed by uh, the Supreme Court in Denmark already for you know a couple of years, where they. You know, argued that if the company has proper documentation, that it's pretty difficult for, or very difficult for the tax authorities to actually argue that the position taken by the taxpayer is not at arm's length. If you don't have sufficient argumentation, uh, documentation, you do actually become a lot more vulnerable because then, you know, it's up to you as a taxpayer to 
to document and argue that whatever the tax authorities are saying is incorrect. And that's, you know, from a legal defense point of view, is a lot more difficult. So when you hear about SCAT's plans to ramp up staff and tools to scrutinize taxpayers even more than they do already, uh, how does it make you feel as a transfer pricing professional? Well, you know, I think it's it's a signal that, at least I think, that SCAT realizes that so far they simply haven't done enough and that the cases that they brought before court, pretty much they've, they've lost a lot of them. Uh, simply because their their argumentation was not up to standards uh, and was not you know sufficient and detailed for the Supreme Court to agree to it. So I think what will happen, uh, or at least I think that is what SCAT is wanting to do, is to increase the quality of their organization. You know, with more people using more technology as well to go after companies to continue to challenge the transfer price positions of multinationals and that they're hoping that you know there will be a you know a change in 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 that so that they will become successful in their challenges which they have not been so far so i think it is it is a signal that scat realizes that so far they have not done a great job when it comes to these cases going to court and that they need to you know, increase on the quality so the, again on the importance of having your your documentation in place on the basis of local requirements it's it's not only that you know there is this shift in the burden of proof but also the tax authorities might actually simply estimate the taxable income you know as they wish or as they, you know, on the basis of estimates or you know, what they think is appropriate taxable income. And probably that means, or most certainly that means that they would then apply a transfer pricing adjustment to the intercompany transactions. And that combined with the burden of proof makes it, you know, very, very challenging. So, you know, again, like in many countries, it's, you know, it's very important to to maintain high quality uh, local documentation and not do that on, in a generic way, but to uh, you know look at what the local requirements are. Also referencing the local rules and regulations, so not only OCD guidelines, in order to avoid these you know, shifts in the burden of proof and challenges on your taxable income based on estimates. That, uh, and the other one obviously is that, you know, if your documentation is not in order, they can also apply penalties. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hosker. Uh, we still have time for my favorite part of the show, what we want to know. Here's how it works. We put a transfer pricing expert in the hot seat. Hosker, that's you. 
and fire a rapid round of questions their way. No thinking, just answers. Are you ready? Yes. That was question one. Here's question <laughs> two. Uh, what is your biggest everyday challenge? <laughs> um, biggest everyday challenge is to not stay behind my desk all day and also uh, uh, exercise a little bit, which even becomes more important now with the whole COVID situation and working from home uh, on a daily basis. And obviously you're Dutch and you work for an American company. Uh, what are some of the cultural differences in terms of how professionals approach work that you have noticed between uh, American and European companies? Well, you know, I think just also, you know, in, in relation to cross-border, I think, you know, a key difference is that I think in America and maybe to a bit of an extent the UK as well, businesses are very used to being approached by salespeople and a sales organization. And where in Europe, that's not necessarily the case. Certainly not when it comes to call it, you know, tax related uh, services, uh, you know, typically companies, they, they are accustomed to being approached by, I don't know, a big four or a law firm, typically the partner who would then try and convince them to, you know, buy the services from, from that firm. And that's obviously a whole different approach to you know, having to deal with a, uh, with a salesperson. But uh, I find it very interesting to see, you know, that, you know, here at Cross Border, we're very successful and actually, changing that also here in Europe to apply a more of a sales approach uh, to get customers to uh, engage with with actually cross border so that's that's a, a cultural difference i think and what is your favorite thing about managing staff working with people working you know showing an interest in, in people working with people on a daily basis uh, you know i think it's always great to to work with colleagues to help them to advise them to you know, support them if needed. So, you know, it's, it's just working with people. I think that's, that's great. And what is your least favorite thing about it? Well, working with people. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Sartre uh, <laughs> quote, hell is other people. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm kidding. It's, there, are, there are no downsides to working with people. <laughs> We've done some uh, 180 degree about turns here on this show. But there might anyway. be there might be a downside to working with some people, but that's oh yeah, that's a very personal thing, I believe. Right, 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 right. Can't can't get along with them all. Anyway, exactly. Uh, if but if one of your children, uh, say the one that 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 tried to chime in here on transfer yeah. pricing, said, "Dad, I want to work in transfer pricing," what would you say? Uh, I don't know. Get a real job. <laughs> be I a mean, musician that's, that's well yeah i was about to say that's typically the answer a rock star gives when that, that question is asked you're like oh right. don't don't go to music get a real job yeah, no, no, no. i mean job. well no i would say i would it would make me proud because in the netherlands that means that you know 99 out of 100 tax professionals so also transfer professionals they go to law school so, you know, I'm also a trained lawyer. So, yeah, I mean, if, if my if my two sons, you know, would, uh, when they're, you know, at the age of 18 or something, say, hey, you know, I go to law school, or, or at least I'm, I'm going to university, you know, uh, for my education, that would uh, make me feel proud. Yeah. 
That is a wrap, folks. Stay in the know about transfer pricing. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll fill you in on what's happening in terms of transfer pricing compliance everywhere. And don't forget about our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, Hot Off the Press, where we deliver the transfer pricing news every week. I'm Matthew DeMello. I host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Executive producer Marilyn Mitchum-Strom writes our scripts. We'll be back next week with another deep dive into transfer pricing compliance. Until then, take a cue from the Danes and be happy. Be happy.